This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go! Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where we have Seahawks news to talk about. Seattle's hired a new coach. They would have hired three new coaches, in fact. We also have a Geno Smith development, if you can call it that, but the reporting of said uh, development is certainly the tone of that, certainly something worth talking about. And we've also heard from Seattle's three new coordinators. Yes, uh, offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb, defensive play caller, well, not play caller, but defensive coordinator Adam Dirty, AD, uh, and then finally... Jay Harbour, the special teams coordinator. So it's a packed Seattle overload today. First off, let's start with the Geno Smith news. So it's not really news as such. Essentially, Adam Schefter reported that the Seahawks are going to keep him on the roster, um, which the significance of that is February 16th is when his uh, $12.7 million in his contract for this year becomes fully guaranteed before that point it wasn't so good for Gino Smith um I believe uh, as Jason over over the uh over the cap pointed out Seattle has a trade window window through uh March 17th uh when it comes to Gino Smith because that's when that's the date where March 18th his roster bonus of 9.6 million dollars becomes due and so you know, if Seattle traded him before that point, then while he's $12.7 million this year guaranteed, a different team would be on the books for, for that if it's, you know, pre-June 1st trade. And why are we talking about a trade? Well, as we spoke about before, uh, literally yesterday, there is a slight decision to be had with Gino, the cap number, you know, the general number of regression. Perhaps he's not a star signal caller like ownership wants, etc., etc. And Schefter's actual tone in the tweet, Griff, was was kind of weird, right? Yeah, it was it was really weird. Um, it, 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 I mean, he immediately like mentioned the word trade, right? So um, you wonder is that is that Schefter hedging for that possibility? Is that his own editorializing, or is that his sources are team sources and they are they're kind of or kind of, you know, suggesting that, like nudging him in that direction and he's taking the ball and running with it. 
who knows who knows um so this is not the tweet where it mentions that he could be traded <laughs> no but this is the initial right. tweet where he said yeah. he was informed today that he will remain on the roster through this week which is i mean what is it thursday today wow what a yeah through this week. i know the significance of friday but through this week is kind of weird and then he quote tweeted that and said the Seahawks believe in today's market with salaries soaring for starting quarterbacks. The right decision was to pay the money, being the uh, $12.7 million um, per sources. Now Geno Smith will represent a value to them or any other team that decides to reach out to see if it can acquire Smith via trade. But Seattle now has locked in Smith and Smith has locked in his $12.7 million. Schefter has uh, in the past had some issues with the tones of his tweet uh, being yeah. kind of off. But this feels slightly informed. I mean, you could read that as a, solic a solicitation from, you know, uh, Seattle, if they are, you know, Chef to Saw, someone in the organization that, hey, queue up, come and form a line and start trading, start offering good trades for Geno Smith. Like, that doesn't, that's hardly, it's just such an odd report of the that kind of news, you know? Yeah. And the, the first sentence, too, is weird. The Seahawks believed in today's market with salaries soaring for starting quarterbacks. It's like they're trying to validate. To they're really validate. talking themselves into it. Right. and But also, like, they're trying to signal to whoever's reading that, like, hey, this is our rationale, as though the, like, they're desperate to give a rationale other than, like, say, hey, this is our starting quarterback. We like him a lot we think highly of him of course we're keeping it you know what i mean um and it's i wonder like are they trying to signal to ownership even like they want this kind of messaging out there i don't but i mean i that's that seems naive of me to say because i'm sure that they have convert they have conversations about it right um, but it that is somewhat weird. informed right it's it's odd it's odd framing was or or maybe are they trying to say Maybe you're, are they just trying to say like, hey, we've got them on a good deal? I don't know. I don't know. Right. So Gino Smith tweeted, at, well, let's look at the times here. Five, uh, six minutes before Adam Schefter's uh, tweet, Gino Smith, uh, oh, sorry, actually. 11 minutes before Gino Smith tweeted, thank you, Lord, with a praying emoji. Then five minutes before, reminded people, I, I thank the Lord every day, by the way. Gino also quote tweeting Mina Kimes saying, who, whose tweet said, the likelihood that Seattle improves upon Gino Smith is extremely low. Reminding uh, people, Gino said, I'm only getting better, exclamation point. So, not much more to be said on this subject than was said yesterday by us, but again... There's, you know, I think there's concerns that they might do something uh, in terms, you know, we've expressed how we feel about Geno Smith and what we think Seattle should do and how they should proceed in 2024. But there's a bit more of a concern that they may actually uh, do something else. Yeah. Uh, and I know it wasn't just us reading the comment like that. So, I mean, chat, let me know, let us know what you think of this, but... What's what is your vibe from it? What what do yeah. you take from that tweet? 
Yeah. How much stock do you put in Adam Schefter? But yeah, as Matt points out in the chat, it the tweet made it sound like the Seahawks open for business on Geno Smith offers. Yeah. Yeah, and it it, it makes sense to uh, it it makes sense to if even if you are Seattle to be open to any possibility, right? It, it doesn't make any sense to shut off a notion because what if someone puts for example the third round pick in your lap it's not going to happen or maybe part of a package or something i think that realistically schneider isn't going to make any move up for a quarterback unless it's a chance at one of the big three caleb williams drake may Jaden daniels i don't think other than that they're 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 picking a quarterback in the third or fourth round i don't think they're taking one at 16 or in the second if they trade back or or whatever yep so I don't know. Don't yeah, know. maybe maybe there's a quarterback who Schneider feels similarly about than you know what he supposedly did with uh well, I say supposedly. We're led to believe and there's like quite a lot of strong evidence that he was a massive fan of Patrick Mahomes at the time and you know, maybe there's a similar guy in this draft and maybe there's a guy who he feels, okay, this is a guy who is worth got you know, getting enough assets for if we can via Geno Smith, trading up for and um you know seeing if we have that option available to us and if it is open to us you know we can ride with drew lock for a year and whatever kind of wildly crazy stuff uh that could be uh <laughs> i don't know anyways something to monitor and very telling that this we we timed our geno smith thing perfectly griff so well done us look at us look at us right so the other news, kind of more concrete news here, Pete Carroll's son, <laughs> Nate Carroll, is the pass game coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, as is Pat McPherson. Uh, he's now the, the tight ends coach in Carolina, so there's a sort of... <laughs> I missed that completely. <laughs> he So the a kind of mini Seattle offense is forming under... Um, Dave Canales in Carolina. Oh, I missed that completely. Good so that's going to be a, a fun one. Good for Nate getting a pass game coordinator role. Wow. It's it's interesting that Monty Kiffin's son uh, coaches offense and Pete Carroll's son sons coach offense. Although yeah. doesn't doesn't Lane have a brother? I think he's a uh, linebacker somewhere for the Houston Texans. Oh, I didn't know that. I guess. Is a linebacker coach. Right. Well, yeah, it's kind of messed up. Why couldn't they just, you know? I mean, they, they probably have special insight into the sport. Why couldn't they learn lever spill lever until, you know, the cows came home? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how that shook out. Anyway. It's interesting. But in, in more relevant Seahawks news, we have three new Seattle head, uh, coaches now. Seattle's hiring Rams pass game specialist Jake Peets as their pass in-game coordinator on offense. Uh, Peets was the former offensive coordinator at LSU. He had also interviewed for the Buccaneers offensive coordinator of this year. That's per Mike uh, Garofolo's reporting. Uh, we'll, we can dive into Peets a bit more, but also Jay Harbaugh in his press conference, which will break down, he announced that Devin Fitzsimmons is arriving as the assistant special teams coach he spent one year in Carolina last year and has got 10 years of experience coaching in the NFL. And then just as we came on air, 
if you're in tune to this, well done. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reports that the Seahawks are hiring Frisman Jackson as their wide receivers coach. Jackson coached the Steelers wide out the last two seasons. Uh, he used to play receiver for the Cleveland Browns, and he'd led the Titans and Panthers wide receiver rooms over recent years too. So, Griff, where do you want to go first? Jackson, Fitzsimmons, or Peets? Um, I think that uh, Peets is probably the most prominent hire that was made. So we can start there. Um, I, I like that they took someone from the McVeigh tree just to have on staff for a number of reasons. One, there's kind of some soft continuity uh, with what Seattle already was, of course, with Waldron being coming from there. Um, I think that that the Waldron offense or like that brand of offense is kind of generally what the fits Gino and the receivers and everything. Right. Um, and I think that whatever grub was going to create was going to fit them as well. But I think that he needed an, an NFL mind to kind of bridge the, uh, the transition from college to the pros um, and to kind of just have a deputy on hand, a Lieutenant that can, that kind of speaks that language and everything. So um, I, I like this move, at least I like the idea of hiring from McVeigh's squad. Um, Jake Peets himself, I don't think LSU liked him very much when he was the OC there. Um, but, you know, as a staff member, he could be a very good staff member. Maybe he's upped his game since he's been with um, the Rams. So um, generally, I like this. Um, I especially like it for their uh, dropback game when it's time to access the intermediate. So, Maddie, what do you think about Pete's? Yeah, it's quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting background, really. Like, he was with... Uh, the Raiders under um, Bill Musgrave when they were the OC, when he was the OC. Um, and they went 12-4, and four, of course, mm-hmm. in 2016. Uh, but, yeah, got on staff with uh, McVeigh uh, in Washington in 2014. Only 38, so he's been very experienced considering um, was assistant quarterbacks coach in Jacksonville in 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of what they needed. And, uh, you know, you hear Grubb talk about, he was kind of asked about how his stuff translates. This is going to help that, as you said. This is kind of the the extra piece required, I think. And yep. we'll see if he... Yeah, they, this, they kind of lost that, right? So, important. Okay. Do you have much to say on Devin Fitzsimmons? Have you been grinding the special teams tape? I know the. Pardon? No, no, I was cutting you off. My bad. No, no, no! You cut me off. Go ahead. I was going to say, can't say I have. Um, oh. Yeah, going for. I mean, if Jay Harbaugh likes him, then great. I mean, Jay Harbaugh himself sounds like a good coach. It's probably you probably can't do better than Larry Izzo, though. But I'm sure Harbaugh's fine. And so whoever he likes to be his assistant is also probably fine. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seems like he's been a long time special teams assistant. So there you go. Good, <laughs> Good for him. Go. Good for him. How about that? How about that, hey? And then finally, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN reporting about Frisman Jackson. Steelers wide receiver coach 
previously and uh he's he was with the panthers for two seasons before that with the steelers in 2022 and 2023 was with the titans in 2017 as their receivers coach so some nfl experience spent two seasons at baylor in between that been in college before that and played um six years in the nfl although the Jets was a practice squad only kind of thing. It's so hard to tell if who's a good wide receiver coach and who isn't, especially if they, you know, like don't have like a passing game coordinator title or something like that. You know, I don't, I don't know how you, how you're actually able to gauge this. Like, is it a good hire or is it not? Ryan Grubb sends to attract good assistance. So I'm going to assume that was a good move. Right. Uh, if you just look at his, his, resume like the the receiving cores of the teams he's coached haven't necessarily been stellar but it's that's just a more more so rostering I mean, the Steelers did have Pickens and there, there were there was some thought that maybe Pickens wouldn't pan out and he kind of is you know um but then also like why is he was he fired was did his contract run out and they didn't resign like like what's the dynamic there you know mm. yeah and did so. he you know maybe he got on staff because uh he knew matt canada right and obviously canada's oh true been so you just don't know with the kind of shake-up going on there who's kind of guy he was but i mean it's cool he made the nfl as an undrafted free agent uh coming out of um western illinois university and was able to suit up for five regular seasons you know right definitely good for him so yeah, something to monitor. That's interesting. I don't see any overlap in terms of how he'd have crossed paths necessarily with Grubb. But I guess just as a guy who's coaching the heck out of fairly small school receivers in the kind of early 2010s to mid-2010s, you know? Right. And then gets to the NFL because of that. Apparently he's a passing game coordinator at Temple in 2015-2016, Griff. So... Yes, he's got experience there. He might be involved with game planning. We'll see. Um, We'll probably never know. But well, he might have like a like a third down role or something. Like what was it? Kerry Joseph, the quarterback coach last year, he had like the red zone role. So he might have something involved there. But we'll see. Yeah, that would make some sense. Uh, He, yeah, he worked under Matt Rule. when he was at Temple and then back with the Panthers in 2020 and 2021. I mean, DJ Moore was nice, you know? Yeah, true, 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 true. Yeah. Interesting. And he is also still kind of fitting that uh, fairly young theme. He's 44 years old. Right. There we go. Wait, which is better, chat? This is better, right? No, this is better. There you go. So, we heard from the three new Seahawks coordinators, as I said. Griff, where do you want to take it first? Special teams, OC or DC? Let's just go in order. Harbaugh was first, right? He was. He was excited. And this is probably going to be the, the shortest one. What stood out to you about that? um he definitely can command a room he's got the he's got the 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 
Gravitas to to be a coach, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, like special teams coach, you know, um, uh-huh. you can only evaluate the units. You can only evaluate him by looking at the units he's coached. And Michigan had good special teams, so um, well, you know, what more can you say? He definitely seems like you know he believes in the fundamentals and everything. So um, I'm curious if he tries to pick a side, defense or offense, at some point. I feel like special teams relates to defense more so because it's a lot like run fits and and everything. Um, but I don't know. What, what, did, what did you get from Jay? Yeah. There's there's not much to say, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the commander room thing's important. It seemed fairly positive. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're kind of a junction point for the offense and defense because you have offense and defensive players on special teams, right? Yeah. So there, there's probably a really important role that a special teams coach can have in terms of team culture and everything and yeah. uniformity and all that. Like, um, and, and maybe it's not required of the special teams coach, but if they do have it, like it's just an extra dimension that kind of mm. ties everything together. Um, One thing I'd say is he's like a slightly more – um, he's, he's, he seems fairly similar personality wise to McDonald, but slightly more uh, upbeat. Maybe kind of elaborates a bit more on things. Less, um, I don't know. But it's interesting that they'd known each other for about ten years, as he described it, and they got to know each other in Baltimore. And he mentioned how they were similar in age, and they're both guys into football. So it kind yeah. of sounds like they're sort of friends uh, and they got to know each other like that, like a coaching friend. So, Right. Got uh, and he, the way he speaks about football, I mean, it's obvious because McDonald's big influence is Harbour, the, the dad, right? Right. And, and the brother, uh, Jay's uncle. But um, just all this talk about fundamentals and... Um, you know, being good at blocking and tackling and like the real basics of stuff yeah. is obviously aligned with how McDonald's looking to coach as well. Right, right, right. Yeah. But as, uh, as point is pointed out in the chat, are you guys really analyzing special teams hires? What's wrong with you two? Yeah. We, we'll move on from that. So next up was, uh, Adam Dirty. AD. AD. So, Griff, yeah. Let's not do the let's not do the 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 accent thing. Let's just what not accent? do that, okay? I don't right. Hear what accent? Football is a as as he shows. Football is an international global game. So, moving on from from that, what what else stood out to you? Uh, I mean, you can only get a vibe from their personality for, from these things, right? He uh, I mean, he didn't get into scheme because that's the awkward thing, like. It's not his defense. Like I, I know, I know people said like with Pete Carroll and everything, like oh, it's you know, it's not really so and so's defense. It's Pete Carroll's defense. You know, it's not Dan Quinn's or whatever. But like Pete did let them call plays, and they absolutely shaped the scheme and everything. It was collaborative, of course. Pete had the final say, and each DC, we know it. We know it wasn't just Pete's defense in the way that people say that because the defense changed pretty considerably, coordinator to coordinator to coordinator. Um, but with D- Dirty, I mean, 
what is i mean he's going to have a huge influence on applying the scheme right game planning and everything i mean mcdonald literally cannot do everything that's why you hire assistants to assist and everything and he's the highest ranking assistant but like it's not his scheme he's not going to make massive influence it's more like taking the playbook and like whatever his assigned role is and applying it everything. But, um, you know, I, I, I didn't really grasp anything other than he, he really, he, he, I think he, he mentioned like his coaching style and everything like honesty. Um, I'm surely like he'll resonate with players, you know, from Dallas players really seem to like him. So I think he's a great culture fit and probably a really good deputy to have for, for McDonald. And like, he must've killed the interview, right? Because, McDonald could have probably taken a few guys, right? Um, he probably, you know, probably could have convinced John and Jody to shell out the, the cash necessary to get one of to get one of his Baltimore guys, right? And all those guys got promotions. So for for Dirty to really distinguish himself, and Schneider said that Schneider said that Dirty distinguished himself in interviews or through second through secondhand accounts through other people they interviewed, and I'm sure Dan Quinn was part of that they must have really been all over this guy and for McDonald to also be in on him speaks really highly of uh, what he can do. Yeah. And you know, what stands out to me just every time he talks, he says he does it in the same way. And, uh, he says very similar things when he's asked, you know, questions, very consistent in that sense. And that's just from me, you know, hearing him cause he went on the radio afterwards and we didn't really learn much more about him there. But, you know, hearing him in this press conference, hearing him in the, the hard knock stuff and how he's talking to the players, but also hearing him on uh, the big gym show with uh, Jim Hamilton, which is the podcast appearance I keep referencing. And now I finally actually remembered the name back in July 2023. He clearly just he knows who he is. He kind of knows what he, he needs to be as a coach and how he's going to get there. He's very, very... And kind of, you know, when I shared that stuff, which I was told about his character from those who coached him at the time, um, how he kind of understands people, Rick said, right? And and he he always wants to understand people. It, that keeps shining through. But yeah, in terms of the scheme stuff, it's, it's obviously clear that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be McDonald's thing. As McDonald already outlined, McDonald's going to call the players to start off with, but... You know, I liked how it didn't really come up. He, he, you know, he mentioned how, yes, in the interview, the, the plan for him to take over the play calling did come up, but he was then saying how he's focused on the present and the now and and how things don't go well for him when he starts looking forward and he just needs to focus on the present time and work you yeah. know, towards what they're doing right now. So... Very, yeah, he must have absolutely smashed the interview. Again, he says similar things to kind of what McDonald says. I think he'll be truly bought into that idea of really kind of fitting it around the players and which obviously, you know, it feels obvious, but it's very hard to do sometimes. But right. um, he, the way he just talks about teaching, his passion for teaching and, and understanding his different uh, guys and and uh, all that stuff must have been massively appealing to them, so... Right, and he seems like he has a, a a cool personality, and um, definitely, yeah, he was he was very affable as well. So, yeah, 
Yeah, definitely a good culture fit. That was something that that I think stood out the most to me. Yep. And funny, funny uh, on the radio, uh, <laughs> he was asked about. Uh, I'm sure you know about the Legion of Boom, and he's like probably sat there like, yeah, um, <laughs> I coach under Dan Quinn, like, and <laughs> he he pointed out how he's watched so much of those games because he coached under Dan Quinn and uh, right. that all of the tape would have been Legion of Boom stuff, especially to start off with, so like all the good right. examples so right yeah but was... what the media didn't do too much like haha you're british that was good not too much well, of that we, we, we can we can so we, stop us from we could maddie he is he is english yeah he yeah. is we can't he is he is um, do you like being reminded that you have an english accent <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes I forget, you know. Uh, it was great how Dave Wyman said, uh, I can't understand him on the radio to John Schneider. That was real cool. Yeah, that great, was... Great stuff, man. No, yeah. That was, yeah, that, that Funny was... Funny joke. That was, that was Wyman <laughs> acting like that was the first time. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my problem with it. You think that's the first time that anyone said that? Like, that's a really funny comment, firstly. And secondly... That's been said so many times, so yeah. many times. I actually know for a fact that um, when he was with the Panthers, uh, Dirty as a player, as it like fans would just scream like abuse from the stands during training camp, saying you're you're a bum and like you you don't belong here mm. and like uh, you're um, yeah you're British. <laughs> and, and that that becomes like uh, particularly problematic considering that he's. <laughs> That he's a black man and like you know like pretty much you know discriminating it's just it's a little it's uh, people are a little too comfortable with it i think well uh, and he well he mentioned um he mentioned how he has a chip on his shoulder and some uh he mentions his self-talk and sometimes he thinks he creates it but he actually has a genuine reason for a chip on his shoulder like uh <laughs> multiple <laughs> multiple yeah, genuine sure. reasons so uh I'm sure I mean, he is very, very impressive, and and um, I'm intrigued to see how he grows and how quickly he grows and, well, and how quickly and he does end up you, calling the defense you, if, he, you, if he gets to that. Definitely, and you and you can tell like this is. I mean, lots of coaches in the NFL are are very good. Some are better than others. Some are um, merit isn't why they've risen the ranks it's probably a variable i'm sure it's always a variable but compared to others and they have limited opportunities but you look at his career path like we mentioned when they first hired him and everything i mean he he rises the ranks everywhere he goes and like he's not had the entry that other coaches have had so you know it's merit that is allowing him to climb the ladder you know um so good stuff good stuff all around there you go. So in interested to watch uh, AD develop. And so finally, we actually got a bit more schematic stuff, I think, when it comes to Ryan Grubb. And part of that is the media better kind of understanding how to ask offense questions. A lot of people are. And, and also you can speak more easily in looser terms about uh, an offensive scheme. Um, yeah, you can wish wash and everything. Yeah, you can wish wash and I imagine 
you know, it's a bit different also because Grubb is actually the play caller who's going to be designing the offense as well. Right. Obviously with some head coach input, but Dirty's coming in to run the McDonald's system and then maybe put a bit of his spin on things. Uh, anyway, we learned a bit more about uh, what Grubb thinks about football. Griff, where do you want to take this one? Um, the, thing, the thing that I that jumps out to me was him talking about it was him talking about how like when asked about the transition excuse me he said a lot of the play action concepts they lifted straight from the nfl so it's like we're just translating the nfl back to college back to the nfl and that, that's kind of in line with like what we've said and like and, and what is obvious like yeah when it's time to when it's time to dial up six and a half man protections or seven man protections or it's time to call play action like all that stuff translates immediately immediately it's just that is only going to comprise 20 percent of your total offensive snaps at least early down snaps so what are you going to do for your other 80 percent like obviously so that's going to be a run game but the questions are going to come down to like what will define the offense is what will the drop back game look like and and how do you or i mean or how much quick game are you building out of how much five step are you building out of and going to be half field reads, full field reads. We didn't get a whole lot of that. Of course, why would we? Um, but I, I mean, but you can still, you can still take his comments about what translates from what to what and, and extrapolate that. And overall, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. Like he's, I mean, they, they brought in Pete's, you know, what he did at Fresno state with Hayner probably fits the NFL a little bit more squarely. So um I mean, it will be a cool blend of, of everything. It will be. It will also include a little bit of what they did last year, just because like the tape is there of the players and and Pete's. It's you know, again, I'm just repeating myself. Um, but yeah, it, he he gave a little bit more substantive answers um, and everything. So what did what did you take away? Yeah, there's a lot of things. I liked how uh, John P. Boyle of, of Seahawk.com asked uh, about the differences and challenges of the college level to the NFL and, you know, he mentioned the hashes is the obvious thing, but then he also talked about the personnel based scheme. So you have to be more alert, uh, as to who's on the football field and if it's base or nickel, whereas in college, I mean, obviously teams are recruiting for a scheme and this is me kind of explaining it. This isn't what he said, but obviously teams are recruiting for like a specific scheme in mind, but you ha really have like your best personnel package and you're going to try and run that as much right. as possible um but also it's so spread out that i think it, it well it's very rare that a team's going to be able to be really good in one personnel package and then really good in a quite different other personnel package right um right. whereas in the nfl uh the base and the nickel packages that um grub mentioned uh, the identification of personnel problems, that's kind of more vast. You have to be far more alert to it, as he said. Um, it can be more prevalent in the NFL, he said. And then he also mentioned the limited possessions that exist. Right. That is interesting. That, that, that's right. The, the limited – well, so the personnel packages were really interesting. Um, I imagine he's going to want to stick in 11 as much as he can, primarily because of you've got three receivers, right? Um and then, and then the the tight end situation. They probably will only roll with one or two tight ends that they even want to bother getting on the field next year, just cap wise. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, he kind of is signaling that. 
I think he's going to stick in one personnel package a lot. Like they might be a 70% 11 personnel team that also fits how he likes to incorporate the run too. Um, but then with the, um, the comment on shorter possessions, I wonder if that changes how he, I mean, you kind of have to speed up your sequencing almost. You can't spend as much time setting things up. Um, does he try to focus? Even, I mean, they were already as explosive as they could try to be right at UW. I wonder though, with shorter possessions, does he feel the need to try to squeeze in more explosives per drive? Um, that maybe he did when he was at Fresno State when they didn't go as deep as much because he knows he can't go as deep as much as he did at UW. He can't. It's not possible. Um, I mean, it would be – you could pull off maybe one year and then you're doomed to regress the next year. So, I don't know. How, how do you how do you take the whole decreased possession thing? How do you relate that to how that might change his offense or strategy and everything? Well, or I think you- that ties into – why teams don't chuck it round as much right because there's yeah. you you kind of have to have you you have to drive the football and if you're going if you're turning ri- taking more risk right with passing it's, it's why the run rate goes up you know because you you each drive has to really really count um i, I think that's kind of where he was leaning with that um and interestingly he was asked about you know being a pass heavy offense in in washington and he mentioned kind of how McDonald had, but how that was kind of just to match his uh, his personnel that they had at the time. That mentioned that they had three receivers who are going to go on to be drafted at UW. Um, and that, yeah, that, yeah. I don't, I don't know right. what more to say. It, he, he also mentioned the every step you take in advancement in this industry, you're going to find tougher mismatches and just the level of intelligence and the amount of thought put into each game plan. That's the part that is so intriguing about the NFL, the chess match that happens every week, being right on your math in the box and the room for error is so much less, which again comes back to that kind of limited possessions and, you know, being able to run the ball efficiently, but probably having to do a bit more, you know, um, Right. Yeah. I so, mean, my, my, I will be very curious to see how much under center he runs. Um, yeah, that, that would, that would cool be a cool question, right? And then also pistol. I mean, pistol will always be a, a fascination. They didn't run quite as much pistol this year. Um, does he see oh. pistol as the surrogate for under center? Who knows? Mm. That's the other thing he said, which is big which every play caller tends to say, but I kind of really think he means it. When you have an established run game, it makes calling those other plays, the auxiliary plays off of it a lot easier, honestly. It's when you don't have the presence of a run game that things can really get tricky, which, I mean, Pete Carroll said the same stuff, basically. Like, you need the run game when it's there. Shanahan says the same stuff, and he's much more run heavy, right? Right. But it all kind of... Unless you're, you know, a pure air raid coach, right? Everyone's going to say that, but uh, yeah, it's cool. Cool, him saying that. Uh, the uh, he, yeah, I mean, like the 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 thing with that, like you have to have runs in the samples to influence the personnel packages that are on the field, to influence the personnel types that are on the defensive line, 
You, you, you don't, I mean, if you can get Red Bryant to be one of the edges on the field in shotgun out of a formation that you pass 60% of the time out of, if you can make the run matter enough to get Red Bryant out on the field instead of Michael Bennett, if you have a D-line that's deep enough to do that, because Bennett should be on the field anyway, right? But for for this analogy, you you want to have every reason to be able to throw when Red Bryant is on the field. Um, so it, it's all about balance. And that's what Pete Carroll's always said. It's, it's balance is the ability to impose as many constraints on the defense as possible. And that means you have to be balanced enough to be able to access different modes of your offense according to whatever the defense puts out on the field. And that's kind of what Grubb is exactly talking about. It's all the same words or different words to convey the same thing. And, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. So it's, it's like, yeah, um, it's the, the funny thing is that it's taken a lot more charitably now. Um, it has been in the past, but by some anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, maybe, then, maybe I'm straw manning. Mm, no, I think you're probably right. He was also asked about, uh, being an offensive line guy at heart as Mike McDonald described him. He said how he has a passion for what happens up front and how it ties into the success of every part of the game. And he's always believed that. And when you have a talented and unified group in the O-line room, you've got a chance every week. So, cool. Now, the other thing is he spoke about personnel. So, uh, how much do we read into the fact that whenever... Geno Smith is asked about, or the quarterback situation is asked about. Not only is Geno mentioned, but then Drew Locke gets mentioned, even though Drew Locke is technically a free agent this year. Right. Um, yeah, th that is weird, right? Are they trying to recruit him back at the salary that they want to have him at? I mean, he's a very good backup quarterback as far as backup quarterbacks go. If something terrible were to ha happen to Geno, and say you have no say you have no like what's the words say you have no internal like confidence about drew but there's part of you that is very curious to be like hey what does he look like with seven eight games what can we do with him with all this talent and everything maybe we've seen improvement in camp and everything if all that's true and say something terrible were to happen to Gino, I mean, he's been a little dinged up the past two years for a, a gamer here um a, a game here or there Maybe they want to be able to get a complete eval on him uh, before making a quarterback decision the the following year. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's a contingency for if they do end up tra trading Gino. Yeah, maybe um, they're trading him. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Like aggressively shopping him. Um, it was also interesting how he was asked about Gino Smith, and he kind of focused first of all, you know, on not really him as a player, but just the well more the intangibles aspect of it and like he's a competitor he wants to be coached he wants to be the best it means a lot to him and how his story is cool but also mentioned drew immediately after then got asked in a follow-up about geno smith like as a player like what type of player he is and said he had good presence impressed with his decision making mentioned how he led the league in completion percentage in 2022 um said uh tight windows hard decisions um good decision maker accurate, yeah. good decisions 
smart, tough, dependable, good decisions again. But but it's the classic like, does he like him? Is he it shopping? Is he selling him? It wasn't that know. effusive, right? It, it wasn't that effusive, but like there are all things that are true, like things that no one would really disagree with. At least people mm-hmm. that are in the football world are going to disagree with at face value. It's just more like how much do you how much do you value those things? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I, well, I, just, I feel, yeah. He described Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, obviously different positions. Yeah. But uh, so he described the, them as focal points of the offense. Although the, the, he did the, also use smart, tough, dependable, and said, I'm excited, I'm really excited, where Gino, he said, I'm excited. So, What? Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing is, though, part say, of the podcast. <laughs> say you do want to trade a guy. It takes two to tango. If you do want to trade him and you can't find a partner, or you can't find the right deal, you don't want to not speak well of someone right. if you end up being stuck with them and anyway. You know, that's part of what would uh, make trading Gino kind of silly. Like his peak value is not, he's not realized that yet, you know? And by the time he does realize that peak value, then it's not worth doing anyway. So. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. The team isn't going to um, give you what he's worth after the, like, the basic numbers look that bad. Right. Plus, I, I mean, if if we're just looking at it football wise, I would imagine that Grubb internally knows that he can have an elite offense with Geno Smith as as his quarterback. Um, so much fits, so much fits. I mean, he can like when he said good decision maker and everything, um, and how much dropback they ran at at UW and at Fresno State, like. He knows that Drew can't handle that volume. I mean, you can, there might be a world where you can get an efficient offense out of Drew Locke, but it's probably not running the offense that you want to run. Gino has, you can run so many different offenses with him. Um, so, and he can manage so much. Like, again, his numbers under pressure and everything. And it's, he can set all the protections and like, you know, we've seen him when he isn't pressured. It's just, he's one of the best deep ball throwers in the league. Um, you know, he's really sharp and quick game. Like all of it, you, you'd think that Grubb would be chomping at the bit like, Hey, I can show my stuff right now with Gino and I can go get my head coaching job if it goes really well, you know? Whereas if, if you, if he's coaching Drew Locke and he's excited about it, and that's the plan, then he must just be looking at his contract and job security, not necessarily be like in a hurry to advance because it, that, that's like a, that's a two-year project if you're really going with Drew Locke. Or if you draft a rookie, he knows they're not getting one of the three big guys. If they draft a guy, I mean, he knows all there is to know about Penix. They probably aren't taking Penix at 16. That's probably just not in the cards. He knows whoever they get in the third round, fourth round is going to be a bit of a two, three-year project. I don't mean project in the sense like, oh, that quarterback's a project, but I'm saying that quarterback realizing themselves, it's going to be not a one-year thing. Um, and so, you know, I, I always just think of terms of like, not to be cynical, but career advancement is is part of it. You 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 make you take jobs that you think are, are better for you long-term, right? And Gino is better for him long-term than... I mean, I mean, Grubb, ultimately Grubb has different goals than McDonald's hmm. and, and McDonald knows well, that that doesn't mean that they're in conflict with one another, but McDonald's like the, the team, the organization and Grubb is like, how can I deliver the best offense possible? That means working with my head coach, 
just so that I can eventually become a head coach. And well, McDonald's and knows that, but on Grubbs goals, I I wouldn't say that he is viewing this as a one great year and then he's a head coach. I mean, when he, he was actually asked on when the NFL became a goal for him, because obviously the circumstances in which he left uh, Washington and then was supposedly the Alabama offensive coordinator and then wasn't was kind of weird. But he'd say he said um, three years ago is when he first started looking at if he wanted to pursue the NFL or being like a college head coach. Not that it was going to happen at that moment, but that's when he first started looking at it. Uh, looking at the NFL film, talking to NFL people, researching what it would look like in schematic transformation, and then lifestyle and things like that. And he was, while Harbour was very positive about college still, uh, Grubb, when he was asked about that by uh, Greg Boyle of the, the Tacoma News Tribune, he was less um, enthusiastic. He kind of mentioned the uh, the, the, the kind of, well, he's asked about the difficulties of it, but he he kind of said how you're the kind of difference in in how you're not really you're worrying about all these things which aren't really coaching, and how in the NFL you can you can do just more coaching and just focus on that. Right. So, yeah clear that he, he it kind of in that sense as well you know schneider mentioned the fears of how, how what happens you know you get an oc under a defensive head coach he talked about this during his head coaching search they're really good they get hired away because they're really good to go be a head coach somewhere and then your offense stalls your quarterback struggles but grub the the kind of vision of that i guess is he's good this year then he's really good next year he maybe gets a head coaching chance but then you've got um you know, Huff or one of his assistants to step up and be the new OC. You've got that system in place that McDonald spoke about, that offensive system that he wants to be unique to the Seattle Seahawks and last over the years, you know, that type of thing in place, which can just be picked up by the next guy. And, and then suddenly it's, uh, wow. So very ambitious still, undoubtedly un ambitious, but the, the fit really kind of is kind of starting to make sense there. Also right. mentioned Jake Bobo unprompted Griff. So he did. He did M more Bobo possibly. More Bobo. Good stuff. Okay. Right. We have a very kind donation from Preston. Preston, thank you so much for your continued support. If you want to donate, there's a super chat feature on YouTube, or there's a Stripe link. Uh, please do get involved if you fancy it, or. If you don't want to do that, just like the video because that costs nothing. And tell a friend about the podcast. Preston asking, I like the Frisman Jackson hire. Seems like he did a good job with the 2020 and 2021 Panthers receivers. DJ Moore, who we mentioned, and Robbie Anderson. Good name, actually. And then in 2022 and 2023, with the Steelers wide receivers, uh, they lacked volume mostly because of bad QB play and bad scheme. Uh, yeah. That, that's a tough Pittsburgh situation. I know Griff mentioned him not being a passing game coordinator in the NFL, so it's hard to evaluate that. But yeah, that, that Pittsburgh stuff towards the end was uh, was rough. And as Griff alluded to, the work he did with... Um, completely blanking on the name. Georgia, wide receiver, tall, plays for Pittsburgh, Griff. Pickens, Pickens. Yeah, Pickens, yeah. Um was impressive 
Indeed. Although maybe why he got fired when you see the blocking effort, I don't know. Anyway, or maybe not fired, but amicably, mutually, we're not going to speak together. <laughs> right. Okay. Chat, any questions? Griff, any more stuff? I, I remember, actually, we should talk about John Schneider also went on the radio today. Wow. Indeed. Absolute media fest. He went on with uh, Wyman and Bob. I uh, already mentioned one of the comments from, from Dave Wyman. Schneider wearing Griff a really cool, uh, I don't know how to describe it, like like a throwback Seahawks blue hoodie, but it was just a Nike one with a white tick. And then an embroidered uh, Seattle Seahawks scout patch on there, which looked very snazzy, very cool. And then a Boise State cap. Why did no one ask him why he was wearing a Boise State Broncos cap? Wyman and Bob, come on now. Like, you're on the radio. You're able to ask him about not understanding the new DC's accent, but you can't ask him why he's wearing a Boise State cap. Yeah, what's up with that? They need to have a uh, quality control, or a uh, one of the producers needs to be a um, what do you call it? A fashion liaison. Schneider likes his hoodies. Yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah, I love. I like hoodies. Okay. Do we have any actual analysis on the on the Schneider radio interview? Um, I don't know. You lead. You lead on that. What, what were your takes? It was. You know, he mentioned that, um, I mean, he was asked about what his new Supreme Overlord title of Seahawks personnel means. President of Football Operations, I think, is the official title. And he, you know, he's explaining how it's basically contractual and there's uh, still going to be like a, a group thing. The best decision for the Seahawks is how he phrased it. But it sounded slightly odd and it's in the general consciousness because ultimately... Um, the Adam Schefter report about Geno Smith came out, but he just mentioned unprompted that he heard earlier today that someone said Geno was more of a Pete guy and and uh, not a Schneider guy, and basically dismissing that kind of narrative or notion. Uh, yeah. But just just uh, yeah, he's got he's got the Geno Smith stuff on his mind. He's hearing stuff about it. Um, and the, then it kind of you know the Schefter report is a few more kind of Geno things. So. Right. Again, I mean, is it, is it tacit denial of those implications or is it earnest and honest? I mean, is, is he no. feeling a bit, you know, is his phone buzzing about Gina Smith? You know, is, is, he, yeah. is he midway through negotiating that? And then he has to come on with Wyman and Bob and they start talking like it's, I don't know, some like bros just hanging out yeah. on the radio, right. making kind of weird comments about, uh, the vice president of Vulcan hugging the head coach's wife. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is, huh. is he, uh, like you said, there are those negotiations happening tonight. Is he on the phone with the Vikings? Um, is he on the phone with the Steelers? Um, who knows, man? Who knows? Mm. Who knows? That would be a great fit though with Arthur Smith and Pickens and Deontay Johnson. Um, I don't want to think about it, but you know, that would be a good fit and like an okay offensive line, right? Right. They could run block. Right, right, right. So 
who knows? But the hall, dude, that's the thing. The return needs to be. The return's not going to be. If they did that for a second round pick or something, like get out, get out. You know, like, if they did it for a second round pick, I would be, I would sour on the whole operation pretty quick. Um, okay. Here's, gonna a, be your here's, quarterback. A, here's a topic. Like, that's the thing. Like, who are you going to replace him with? Okay. Other so what? King Drake May or Caleb the, Williams. Like, get this out of is here. A good, uh, this is a good topic to end, Griff. Yeah. Yeah. What would make you sour on the new Seahawks era of Mike McDonald and John Schneider, football overlord? Did Geno um, Smith for a second round pick? That would. That would be a good one. Yeah, I've would, got a good be, one, though. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of what, what would be another one. If uh, I wouldn't sour, I would be pretty. I would feel a little sour about it, but I wouldn't sour on the overall operation. If they don't bring Brooks back, I'll be pretty upset. Okay. Um, but okay. I think um, if they were to if they were to cap cut Quandre Diggs, I'd be like, wait, oh, the carousel with the defense, like getting a star, letting a guy go, and then as you get another one, you let the other one go. Like, put together a team and keep it together. He's thirty. It's gonna be thirty-one. He's not thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four. I don't know though. Um, it would just feel like really odd rostering strategy. Um, but what's what's yours? If they paid Patrick Queen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Over Brooks, especially because they don't yeah. have the money to do both. Why are we paying a weak side backer who is like a like almost a liability to the B gap bubble? That's how you feel. I mean, <laughs> that's how I feel. My thing hey, is, he makes some cool plays. He can absolutely make some plays. Um, he he's a good he can be a good spot dropper. I don't we don't see him carry much, carry seams and everything. I think that's commentary that well the, the scheme doesn't really need him to. No, but there's there is some commentary in the fact that they don't ever ask him to. It's indicative of like what they think he can he can't handle. Occasionally against empty, he'll find himself the weak hook and like he's been late to finding three a little bit and it's just he's, like, he's late to a lot of things and you, you like run game stuff as well and you're like oh well maybe they're fitting it like this and or maybe you know he's king this for this it's like no nah, he's just late yeah. or like he's or he just back they have a big thing in baltimore i'll do a video on it about not getting blocked right and they're really good at avoiding blocks and getting off blocks at the right time to the ball but a lot, there's a few plays where he backdoors it, where Roquan Smith is the backside guy, and the run cuts up where he should have been over yeah. the top of the block, and it's like, dude, you cannot do that. That's a... <laughs> um, um, yeah. that that's someone you let someone else pay. Uh, if they pay him and didn't keep Brooks, that would be insane. That well, I mean, I mean, yeah, we're, I'm pretty firm about Brooks being better than Queen, so that would be. I mean, I would, I would well, rather they're different. They're different players, you know. One's a Mike linebacker, one's a Will. Yeah, there you go. Especially in the scheme. Um, the the other thing here is if they do trade Gino, like who, like well, what's the what is the ethos behind that move? You How are not you, going to get into the top you, three unless they pull something out of a hat. Yeah. So yeah. Who's the replacement? Yeah, this selling that to the sale is that you're going to get like a a uh going to draft a quarterback in the first. Like the sell, right. how you pitch that to ownership, like most fans, right? Yeah, it's just mental. And... It'd be absolutely crazy because I don't like how disappointed with you, like the 
the team interest we're seeing from people is an all-time high. Thank you, those of you tuning in live for us. Um, but we've noticed our numbers going up. I think everyone's numbers are going up. Um, for the team to have like a losing record with like Drew Locke as the quarterback, or even if they have a losing record with Gino, something's gone really wrong. But for them to have a losing record with uh, Drew Locke as the quarterback, that is a tough sell. Or even if they force a rookie, right? But yeah. can you imagine how quickly people would be like, nah. And this is a, a pretty spoilt fan base, um, you know, Incredibly for the past spoiled. however many years, you know? Like, they, they are, aren't they like We the have never seen a bad team Seahawks team. What? Since the Holmgren era? Aren't they the second winningest team in the NFC since the Holmgren era started? I think, yeah. There, the there's Jim never Warren been a bad Pete Carroll team. Yeah. Other than, um, I mean, even the first year, they were scrappy, right? And they got to the playoffs. <laughs> it was the second year, but then the second year the defense finished really strong. Right. So then it's space. like there's some cope and then and then wow. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but so like we we do know with Schneider in the quarterback position, he likes to throw mid-round picks at potential reclamation projects. Um, he likes to spend mid-round picks on quarterbacks if you know, at least okay, there's a there's one name here. If you say this name, I'm going to end the stream. Um, um, would it, would Atlanta? But we have to. No, consider. don't, no, no, don't no. say the name. Don't say we, the name. We we have to. I won't say his name because you guys know who. I'm, I'm going to end the stream if you say the name. <laughs> okay, I will. But okay. would Atlanta? Would Atlanta be one of the teams to call come calling for Gino? We uh, know that Schneider is is willing to take a chance on a guy, but. I'm all for him taking a chance on someone like that of that caliber of investment, like drafting a guy in the third round or sending a fourth round pick for so and so. So you're saying you would trade Geno Smith for Desmond Ritter? No, no. I'm saying you got to do this with Geno still on the roster. If he wants to go crazy and be like, "Hey, there's a backup quarterback," they have they have that guy in Drew Locke in Schneider's eyes, right? Yeah, but I would. Yeah, but see, but with, with the lock is developmental, and he's getting too old to be called developmental at this point. The other guy is not. Developmental. Hey, he's just a he's just a kid. He's, he's, a he's had boy. a kid. Congrats. Um, um, he's just a kid. Um, but, but we got to. We also got to consider would he flip a fifth round pick for Mac Jones? I think that- the two factors here are. Again, Schneider mentioning that Gino's a peak guy and has nonsense. That him saying that is almost that's also admitting that yeah, he was a peak guy. Like you know, yeah, he was on board of Gino, but that was a Pete kind of uh, Pete was on board, like on board of that. In the same way that Schneider was the one who wanted Drew Lock, right? He wanted Drew Lock in that in that package, and well, what if he's just Lock pilled? What if he's like, hey, he came in against the Cowboys, he made some plays. Pete spoke extremely highly of Drew Locke post-trade. I mean, he was talking about how we can win a Super Bowl with this guy. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, so, fine. But the other fact to this is McDonald comes in. He says they want to have a core identity of being physical and, and running the ball, right? What if they're just looking for like a – and these don't go – these types of guys don't go on trees, particularly from a health perspective. But what if they're looking for – a Cam Newton, a Colin Kaepernick, um, a Lamar Jackson. Um, what if they need a, a QB who can run the football and, and be a big part of the run game 
and it looks more like a Greg Roman-style 49ers offense, but perhaps more modern, you know, in the passing game, the drop-back game, and just more fitted to 2024 NFL ball. What if that's a thing? Anyway, stuff to monitor, but hopefully it doesn't come to that uh, for the reasons we've mentioned. Griff, anything else? The uh, the the Ridder the rip the the Ridder tripling. Well, I don't know at what point you're. I don't know how many downing you're doing with that, but that was a that was a wild one. No, I've taken the L on him. I'm just saying it's not over. It doesn't sound like it. (laughs) You'll see. You'll all see. Hey, I like Ridder too. I mean, his I'm just not trying to trade. I'm just not trying to trade uh, Geno Smith for no, him, and you goodness. you weren't either. Let me know. No, it just sounded like that was the sounded like you were trading Geno for him in a first. You know. Yeah, I will say the tenor that dominated the timeline was not commensurate with reality. Uh, every year, like, oh, what every every Sunday? Oh my God, Ritter's terrible. I go and watch the tape back. I'm like, yeah, it was a bad play, but he had a good game otherwise. There'll be a lot of that, but there's a lot of confirming of biases. Not to say I'm not, I haven't developed a bias. I'm sure it comes across that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are you supposed to do when from week five on, or no, from week 10 on, he's literally one of the five most efficient quarterbacks in pure dropback scenarios? Like, why is he, why is the young guy good at the hard stuff and bad at why the Why couldn't they call it a good play action? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I don't know why he would just kind of lose his mind when it would be when it would be play action maybe if turning his back to the defense i don't know maybe two point and shoot i'm telling turning you back to the defense maybe Changing if the kyle shanahan up. had ritter he would have better even better output than brock purdy is where, is where i'm at <laughs> if kyle shanahan did okay right well with that chat we'll be back probably next week unless there's massive seahawks news but we'll be back next week we still have senior bowl stuff to do maybe we'll have to look at the quarterbacks oh, oh. Um, we still have senior bowl tape we'll break down we have Mike McDonald's defense to get into I know there's an appetite for that uh, please do like the video uh, follow Griff on Twitter at cmikespinmove follow me at Matty F. Brown if you're listening to the pod five star review tell a friend thank you so much uh, we've, we've got quite a few reviews now and they're all five star which is great so don't be the arsehole you know gives it a one star it'd be quite funny but don't uh, and then follow the pod at Seattle Overload retweet it share it that, that's the main thing word of mouth tell a friend etc etc thank you preston again for your donation you're very kind preston uh much appreciate it big o saying we need uh film breakdowns live hey they're coming they're coming we've had to learn the mcdonald defense now we're not going to be perfect but you know we, we may have uh bobbed and we've got our hands on a a few resources etc etc griff any closing wisdom for people um, I don't know. Eat your vegetables. Drink some water. Um, so no, no, Maddie, we need to resolve this whole milk thing. What do you guys do? You guys call anything one percent, two percent in the supermarket? No. So you said you call it skim, aka non-fat. Do you guys call it non-fat? Yeah. No, skimmed, semi-skimmed, and, semi-skimmed. and so whole whole milk has. Hold on now. Whole milk has a blue top, semi-skimmed has a green top, and fully skimmed has a green top. 
No, no, a, no, no, hold on. A red top, a red top. See, the, the problem here, though, is that in America, we have 1% and 2%. Now, 1% isn't as common. Um, I don't know, man. Preston, know. I've got you on the, the Super 48 film breakdown. We'll do that. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. There's no problem. I'm fine. I'm getting no, my milk. Yeah, I'm glad you're getting your milk. <laughs> Good for you. 